tone and set this up. Somebody's already changing the tone. <laughs> Great. Um, it's one of these things where you're in the house and you're like, is it a real cry or a pretend cry? Is it a real cry? pretend cry, but it's a good lead on because I, I, I genuinely believe there is a real cry and there is a silent scream going on. And uh, I want to set this up for Warren Cummins because I've come to the conclusion that the devil doesn't want to kill women and children. He wants to kill men. I've come to that conclusion this week. He doesn't want to kill women. That's good to, to, to an extent and children, but he wants to kill men. And you remember at Ziglag with David, where, where the, devil, the devil sent those to trap the men, to trap the women and the children, so the men would go running and he could kill the men. When Herod sent a message out to kill, it was for the little boys. Right up to Jesus' time, right up to Isis, now, we know a lot of women are being killed, but basically ISIS are beheading women and by and large trapping women. And the devil wants to trap women, be it from the kitchen sink to the sex trafficking industry. The devil wants to trap women, and many women actually do feel trapped. But, but he wants to kill men. He wants to take men at the game. And... Um, the men's talk afterwards is going to be a serious talk because there's the media are saying to churches in the UK, up your security big time because of potential threats. And I've got a theory that that will do very little, but we always want to improve security. And after this, we want to discuss what could turn it around. But... One of our young men who attended here for some years, he faced his 59th minute last Saturday. He faced an hour last Saturday where he could either go forth or go back. And that's the test for men. When that test comes, when you just feel like you've been stripped naked like Joseph and sold like a cow in the marketplace, young man Chris Borosar, who attended here for some years, when the hour of trial came and he got the opportunity to reflect Jesus, he took a knife and stabbed the man multiple times in Abbey View, allegedly. He is on trial on Tuesday. If the trial goes well, he, he's up for eight years. The man, I'm told, is fighting for his life, 44 years of age. If the man dies, he could be looking at a 15-plus stretch. Men are in trouble, and men have an hour. Some, some men have that hour every day, that 59th minute where, and uh, Ian McCauley told me a brilliant thing this week. He said, when you grow up in Abbey View, I'm sure you don't mind me sharing this, Ian, but when somebody stitches you up in Abbey View, part of Dunfermline, you're almost not a man, if I could repeat you properly, you're almost not a man if you do something about it. You know, if you don't return violence with violence. But I don't think this is a fear, this is a faith introduction. I think there's a war cry going out to men in Scotland. I 
great cry. Because I think as men of God, we have an opportunity to turn the tide. Because when the Philistine, when, when, when David stood, or when David's moment came and, and fear ran out the feet of everybody, or, or, or faith ran out the faith, the faith ran out the feet of all of God's people, all it took was for one man, one man, David, to wake up. And it says this, that David, in the Message Bible, it's brilliant. it says, he woke up at the crack of dawn. He ran at the giants. And I think God has given us an opportunity to wake up, not be afraid of ISIS, not be afraid of what man does, but obey the living God. That brings me to Warren Beamer. Warren Beamer, I met a good number of years ago, somewhere in South America, I think maybe the first time. Is that where it was? Yeah, maybe in Bogota. And Warren at that time, I believe, was working with John Hagee in, um, in uh, his great ministry up there in Texas. And since then, he's gone on to do other things. And I shared with somebody last week that what I've just said happened to this man. We just met a few years ago at Dakota, and he was telling me how he had just launched the amazing thing, and this attack came from nowhere and trapped his wife and pretty much the children to a degree. I don't want to give too much of the story. And I've asked Warren, he's going to preach, but I've asked him to share a bit of that story because when we sat in the Dakota and had a coffee one day, it was, it was a 59th minute. It was a, a moment where you could do that, be a few things in and just say, stuff it, I'm going to blow something up. Or you could kneel at the cross. And uh, you have no idea how thrilled I am, how joyful I am, how over the moon I am, that Pastor Sam Cameron from Peterhead is taking the time to get up and leave Peterhead at 8 o'clock this morning and drive Warren down. He's been a great, great friend, and he's here to tell us there is life on the other side of that moment. What a wonderful, wonderful honor it is to welcome to the platform Warren Beard. Come on, let's give it up, guys. Let's give it up. It is such a privilege and an honor to be here this morning. I mean, you, you just don't know. Um, there's, this is a bucket list moment for me to be here at your church. Uh, it, what your pastors mean to me, I can't even put in words. And they mean that all over the world. I don't think you know how much the impact this church, that when your pastors go out, it's not just your pastors, but you as a people have an impact around the world. And are known in such beautiful ways that uh, I'll be able to use this and post all over. <laughs> it's just a good thing. So it's a blessing to me. It really is a, it's a bucket list moment to be able to get to minister here in this place. And, and to get to share, you know, somewhat what Jimmy had just brought up. It wasn't, oh, I'm sorry. Did I do it wrong? Oh, like that? Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> It's awesome. Um, and uh, it, it, in fact, can you bring some of the lows out of my voice and bring me up in the mids, if you would, please? <laughs> uh, 
It's a good day. But I didn't come across saying it's a good day easily. I had to say it's a good day through a lot of pain and through a lot of grief and through a lot of problem, through a lot of turmoil, through a lot of situation that I thought I'd never recover from. One of those parts that helped me recover is your pastors that that one day several years ago as I was going through my own personal hell with a situation where I'd been married 20 years and all of a sudden wasn't married anymore. All of a sudden was kept back from my children and kept back from ministry and things were turned from me and turned down from me and people stopped inviting me to speak and, and, and all of a sudden friends that were such great friends for a long time all of a sudden were nowhere to be found. And they just weren't anywhere and they just weren't there. And I show up here in Scotland and with great friends, the Camerons have, have meant the world to me. They are, they are family to me. And as they, they brought us in to minister at their church and my daughters were there, we traveled up the highway, rented a car and met Brother Jimmy at a, at a hotel right around the street. And we had something to eat. And my daughters were so blessed that day as, as Brother Jimmy just spoke over them and made sure they got anything they wanted to eat that day and just blessed them in the most craziest way. So special. In those days, I just started saying the words, it's a good day. I have a t-shirt I wear all the time that just says on it, it's a good day. And people look at me and they say, you know what, every day is a good day. And I said, you know, but some days are just better than others. And sometimes you realize it's a good day more than you used to realize it. I, I started going through divorce, and when I did, as I all of a sudden found myself in a crazy spot, and, and my children were captured, and, and it was it's separation that was happening there, and I, I watched my children start to go through emotional problems and needs and different things that were going on, and all of a sudden I find myself downtown in, a, in an apartment, away from everybody, away from everything I, I, I had this, I, I love people and I'm very relational and very, very personal, but all of a sudden I'm now by myself on the other end of the world and I don't know what to do. I've never been in something like this, Jimmy, never. Never seen any kind of scene like this. I watched other people walk through divorce, but I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand what it felt like. I didn't understand the loneliness. I didn't understand the fear. I didn't understand the pain. I didn't understand the, 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 the segregation that you'd go through and all the things that were there. I just didn't get it. I, I didn't see it until all of a sudden I'm by myself on the other side of town from my family and I'm sleeping at an apartment and I can't even sleep by myself in the bedroom. I've got to sleep outside on the couch with the TV running because I just can't stand to be in that bedroom by myself. I can't even go in the door. I have to use the bathroom that's in the hallway. I can't even use the bathroom that's on the back side of the bedroom. And when my children would come, they would, we would make a pallet. They'd, they'd sleep in their beds in their little room or they'd stay out with me and we'd make pallets on the couches and pallets on the floor because I couldn't be by myself. There was this fear of being by myself like the room was going to swallow me. My team, my amazing staff that I've got in San Antonio started to make, Brother Jimmy, they did an incredible deal. And you have no idea what you are for your pastors. Because my staff made this schedule. They passed out keys to my apartment to probably about a dozen of my people. And they, they set a schedule for every night somebody was staying at my house. Every night between one and three of my guys would sleep at my house would crash there, just stay there, so the pastor wouldn't be alone and walk through his trial on, on his own. And I came through those situations, those spots, and it was a point that I finally said one day, it's a good day. Didn't matter what it felt like, didn't matter what was going on, I had to just believe that regardless of what was in front of me, it's a good day. 
couldn't take in what things sounded like or what my daughter sounded like or the situation or the circumstance. I just had to believe it's a good day. There's some of you in this house this morning, God's wanting to get something through to you. Regardless of your situation right now, it's still a good day because your Jesus is still on the throne. God is still in charge. He's still setting the timeline. He's bringing it out to where you're okay and you're going to make it. If you just hold on, it's a good day. And I promise you, you will get to the point that you know it. And that was all about overcoming. You know, it, it, there's a fight that we go through, and there's a fight in the middle of our scene. And, and I've told you a little bit of that circumstance. If, if I tell you about the divorce that I walked through, it was it was be just a little bit. I, I'd, I'd probably, if I was telling you about everything, I'd tell you about the ministries that I served under, places that I walked. I'd, I'd tell you about when I was a kid, my mother was the state overseer secretary for the Church of God in, 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 um, in, in Louisiana, in the United States, which is a big denomination. And how I watched seven, nine, seven of the nine pastors that I served sat under, fell morally and walked out of the ministry or walked into prison or what seven of nine that I watched one after the next and I just had to keep going. I would tell you about when I was a boy, uh, a teenager, that we, we left the church of God and we went to a place called Jimmy Swaggart's church and, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm one of the children's pastors at Jimmy Swaggart's church when everything explodes and happens there and it's this really ugly incident that happens and the world turns and, and church kind of dies and then I became the youth pastor there and went through another set of circumstances. And, 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 and then I got married. And when I got married, I, I, I married a woman. I fell in love with her. And, and, and we had life. And we wanted to have children. And, and as we wanted to have children, we couldn't have children at first. The, the children died in, in the middle of the, of, the, of the pregnancy. We had 15 miscarriages over 20 years. I've got 17 children Right now, that, that it alive. I have 15 children in heaven, Jimmy. I have 15 babies watching 15 miscarriages happen and not knowing if God's on your side or not on your side or against you or for you. You hear people preach faith and talk about faith and power and this is what they name it and claim it. But then all of a sudden you go through a circumstance like that and you feel like you're dying and you just don't know what to do. And it was once again all about overcoming it was about overcoming. It was about not laying back and just letting it run over you. It's about overcoming it. And I want to read a passage to you this morning that, that I, I really felt I, I, I normally kind of hold what I'm going to speak on until I get to kind of the day of. And, and, and Brother Jimmy called down and said, hey, what you speaking so I can kind of put it forward and talk on? I was like, God, what do you want me to say? And he said these one, this one set of words, these two words he said to me, and he just kept saying them, hidden manna. And he just kept saying hidden manna. He just kept saying hidden manna to me and hidden manna. And I thought, okay, God, hidden manna. And I know a passage that that's in. It's something that I've ministered, you know, not too, too long ago. Hidden manna. And, and it's in this verse. It's in Revelations, the second chapter, the 17th verse. And it says this. And I want to read this to you. It says, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcometh. I will give to him to eat hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word today, God, and for what you speak and do and for what you say. And Lord, we trust you for who you are and for what you'll bring, God, and what you want to show us and what you want to say in this room today, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that you would pass out, Lord God, hidden manna today, Lord God, that you'd 
determined, Lord God, that we are those that are to receive it today, Lord God, that you work in that way in the middle of us. And we trust you for it, Lord. We bless you for it, God. And we thank you in it, Father. In the mighty matchless name of Jesus Christ, we bless our family and our pastors where they are. And everyone said? You know, this passage comes in Revelations in the middle of seven churches that Jesus is speaking to and he's announcing their situation, what he feels about them, where they're at, and what he thinks about who they are, what they've done right and what they've done wrong. And he says something. All the passages say a couple of the same different things. He considers what they're doing. He considers their acts. All the passages straight through this second and third chapter say that uh, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. And then to all of them, at the very end of their section, he says this one thing, to him that overcomes, I will. God's not planning on, God doesn't want you just to make it halfway. He doesn't want you just to come part of the direction. He wants you to overcome. He doesn't want you to just start it and not finish. He doesn't want you to just kind of get along and be run back over. He doesn't want you to kind of just, just kind of fail your way through. He wants you to overcome. And so he puts something very particular in the Bible here that he says to him that overcomes, I will. And all seven of these contain a different I will, a different I will in this place of overcoming. If you overcoming, I will this. If you overcoming, I will that. If you overcoming, this will be. If you overcome. And so God has a word in there that he wants us to overcome. It's not something general or, or plain. It's not something that, that, that's just kind of blandly thrown out there. It's a word to us that we're supposed to overcome. But how do we overcome in these days? You know, we look at these seven churches that are listed in Revelation, and all of them, even though some of them Jesus is saying, well, I'll spit you out of my mouth, and some of them he's looking and saying, hey, you know, I know your works and I love you. They're all about 50 miles from each other. There's this little circle there, this little link. So they're really not far from one another in whatever the scene is. So you got to understand anything could be going on in your life or in the neighbor next to you. You don't know what God's looking and saying to them just as what you don't know what he's looking and saying. They don't know what he's looking and saying at you. So the circumstances going around you, you've got to consider for your own right where you are that God's wanting to look at you and me today right where we are and say he's wanting us to overcome. He doesn't want us to quit. He doesn't want us to stop. He wants us to overcome. Look, God's not looking for those who won't fail. God's looking for those who won't quit. Can I say that again? God's not looking for those who won't fail. He's looking for those who won't quit. Those who are willing to say, I'm sticking in it till the end. I'm ready to overcome. And all of a sudden, God says in this passage, he says to him that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, all of us got physical ears in the place. Everybody in the place has got one. But do we got ears on our spirit this morning? Do we got ears right in the middle of us that we're listening in the spirit what God's doing around us? Look, you can hear everything around you, but if you don't hear what's in the spirit, then you'll be missing everything God's given for life. People told me it time and time and time and time again, the different situations I worked with, whether it was having children. I've got two beautiful, amazing daughters. I mean, they are incredible. They are smart. They are talented. Brother Jimmy's met them and seen them. They're, 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 they're captain of their cheerleading teams, captain of the golf team. Uh, they're doing amazing things, straight A's, gorgeous girls. But the doctor said I'd never have children. I never forget sitting 
with, with my pastor at that time, Jimmy Swaggart, and him looking at me after, I guess it was probably a third or a fourth miscarriage, and him looking across the table at me and saying, son, don't you realize God just doesn't want you to have children? I said, oh, that's not what I realize. I realize what's in my spirit. I'm not listening to what's on the outside. I'm listening to what God tells me on the inside. And that was a strong voice speaking to me. Some people in this room today, you're listening too much to the strong voices that are outside and not listening to God's voice that's on the inside. And it's easy to happen because the word of God tells us that God's voice, as he spoke to Elijah even, was a still, small. Everything else yells and screams, but it takes somebody that can tune out all the yelling. And you're right in here, regardless of everything else that's pushing in. God says, I love you. I've not quit on you. Don't quit on me. Keep going. I'm holding you. You will make this. I'm with you. The word of God says, let, the spirit, let him that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We listen so much on the outside, but it's time for us to start listening on the inside and not letting the outside run us where we are. It says, to him that hath an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him that overcomes... Like I said, I'm not talking about, uh, I don't know if you're a once saved, always saved, or what's your doctrinal belief, whatever it is. I believe we need to overcome. I believe the Word of God says He's going to give a crown of life to them to overcome. I'm ready to overcome. I don't want to quit halfway. I don't want to stop and take any chances. I don't want to guess on it. I want to give it everything that I've got, and I want to go everything into it. Overcomes means to defeat, to subdue, to cast down, to have it under your feet, that you've climbed over on top of it, that it's not held you back from the place of prominence that you're supposed to be in. The situation some of you are in today, they're trying to be prominent over you, and God doesn't want them prominent over you. He wants you prominent over it. Divorce made it self-prominent over me. All of a sudden, anytime my name was mentioned, it was, well, oh, you know, his pastor, when he's spoken all over, but you know, he's gone through divorce and this has happened and that's happened. And it was prominent over me. But God didn't expect it to stay like that, Jimmy. He, he didn't, it wasn't that I'm supposed to be overcome with it. He tells me I'm supposed to overcome it. I'm supposed to walk and live and be and do in a way that I overcome what's trying to subdue me. And all of a sudden, it becomes, it becomes my thing rather than me being it. Divorce doesn't own me. I own divorce. Because I can speak about it now. And I can minister to it. And I can speak it in a language that I understand something. I can let something great come out. My children walk now in the strength that they walk in. Look, it looked like it was a bad day, a sad day, that everything was lost. But God had these blessings in store that he would bring along. And now my children walk in a strength with upright and the way they look at you in the eyes and the way they speak and the joy in their voice, they weren't overcome, they overcame. I remember telling them when they were just babies and I didn't do the normal thing brother Jimmy I didn't just sit down in my deal and find myself a, a you know a, a, a pad somewhere and just kind of wait and stay and say maybe this will pass no there was something in me that said I can't just sit here I've got to go forward and I've got to overcome what's trying to overcome me I've got to overcome what's trying to overcome my children 
And so my daughters and I got out and we went forward on things and, and we, we walked in different stuff. And as we walked, it, sometimes it got harder, but we just wouldn't quit. I remember telling my daughters, I said, babies, I never planned on you being divorced kids. But if you're going to be divorced kids, you're going to be the baddest to the bone divorced kids anybody's ever seen in their life. You're going to have a smile that nobody else has in the room. You're going to have experience that nobody else has. You're going to look back and say, well, divorce happened, and then this is what life did. Because my daddy didn't stop. He didn't pull away. He pushed on. See, I was determined I wouldn't be overcome. I was determined I would overcome. I remember walking through a, this is really, I'm, I'm adding this as Brother Jimmy's kind of asked me to kind of, kind of speak somewhat on a testimony of what I've walked through. I'm, I'm adding something in here. I remember Brother Jimmy at a certain time in my life that I went through this thing and I'm, I love my children. I've always been known as a great father, but in the scene that was happening, the danger that my kids were in, all the circumstances going, I felt like I was losing my mind. I mean, you remember seeing that deal, it was, everything was gone, and I'm in this circumstance, and a judgment just came down from court, and psychiatrists that believe the psychiatrist in the scene was telling, told my lawyer, look, just because he's an evangelical, it means he's already been abusing his children. So since he's an evangelical, he cannot have the mainstay in his children's lives. And I'm looking at it going, God, where are you? I need you, God. Speak to me. Speak for me. Rise something up. And I'm talking to my counselor, and I'm telling my counselor what's happening. And my counselor just says, Warren, give it to God. I need you to stop and give it to God. I said, give it to God? What do you mean give it to God? Well, give it to God. Trust your children in his hands. And she's pushing me, and she's pushing me. And this is the guy that's been in these churches where he's watched people fall. This is the guy who had leaders of his that, that went off on a camping trip, and, and they blew up, and they died because there was a gas leak in the deal. And and nothing, they, they weren't saved alive from. This is the guy who had 15 miscarriages. 15 times he wept and asked God, God, save the baby, heal the baby. And the baby didn't get healed. And the reality of my faith started to come to a place that God isn't going to do it. Anybody ever hit that kind of reality that you've gone through enough trials and enough things that seem like failure that you ask God, but when you ask God, there's this little thing that's hanging back in you that you're asking him, but you almost know it's not going to happen already before you even ask him? And she says to me, Warren, trust God. And she pushes my button, pushes my button, and I finally scream over the phone, I don't trust God! finally came out it finally left me and I sat there and she sat there in silence here I am a pastor for the last 25 years at that moment here I am in this scene I've seen God mend broken bones in front of my body in front of my eyes I've seen him heal broken necks where they're paralyzed and rose up and walked I've watched God do unbelievable things I have testimony like mad on how God's made he's already given me these two daughters when the doctor said that it was impossible for me to have kids so all I've seen God but I don't trust him because I was trusting to my parameters and not to his will. I was trusting him to do what I wanted him to do rather than trusting that whatever he wanted to do would be the best for me. I need you to hear me. 
There's trusting God for what I want God to do. And then there's trusting God that God, whatever you're going to do is going to be the best for me. I didn't know. I didn't realize what was happening. I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't see God in the scene. And I tell her that and I scream the words, I don't trust God. We sat there in silence, three, four minutes, not a word said. And she said, well, there it is then. You don't trust him. No emotion in me, nothing. I didn't cry, I didn't anything. Weeks, I just kind of sat there dead in that. Finally, the Lord started breaking and pulling things through and pulling things in my spirit. And he brought that revelation of faith that my faith's not supposed to be in what my ideal of right is. My space is supposed to be in whatever his idea is the best idea. And I've got to trust him for where he's taking me right now. I don't trust him for this not to happen because this very well might happen. And I don't trust him for this to happen, not to happen because this very well might happen too. But I know in the course of these things lined up, God's will is going to be done and God's will is the best for me and everybody involved. So now I trust God's will. I don't trust the circumstance. I trust his will. And if I'm delighting myself in the Lord, then I'm in the center of his hand. He, he guides my steps. He sets my dreams. So I trust his will. And as I trust his will and I walk in that, it was probably four or five months that all of a sudden, because that changed in me parameter-wise, all of a sudden I was no longer trusting for my will. I was trusting for what his will. It took about five months, and then out of the blue I got a phone call from somebody. And, and then another scene worked out, and, and another scene. And within about all of a sudden three months from that point of things changing my deal, all of a sudden my daughters were, were out of a crazy, dangerous scene and with me half the time. And uh, a, a year later they were set with me full-time, and they've, they've lived with me and been in the middle of me for for four years now, that they're growing and safe. My daughter who was, who was cutting herself is no longer cutting herself. My daughter who was scared and, and having these traumatic emotional nightmares and things going on is no longer having them. I saw them last week at Hillsong Conference with their hands raised, praising Jesus and glorifying God and worshiping Him for everything He was and, and, and loving on Him. They're going with me to Cape Town next week to do missions in South Africa and then we're going to go to Hong Kong and we're doing missions in Hong Kong training teenagers that are going to plant churches all across China themselves, and they're right in the middle of it. One's got a dream to be a, a, a child surgeon in Africa working on children. The other's got the dream to be a lawyer on the mission field that's working out things between uh, uh, nonprofits and orphanages and the government to make sure that God's plan gets carried through. And that's the plan for their lives. So everything was gone. And that's where this passage starts to come in. That God says to him that overcomes, I will give him hidden manna. I don't have a lot long left, and I want to labor in this point. That God wants to give you hidden manna, but he only gives hidden manna to those that overcome. Now, see, God's promised to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So God's going to give manna out there for you to eat. The children of Israel had manna. It was a, it was a flaky kind of substance that would, it would it, the, the dew would settle on the ground, and when the dew settled and it warmed up in a, a little bit in the morning, it would start to, it would dry up and it would crust and be like these flakes, and they would pick it up almost like our communion wafers sometimes that we would eat. They would gather it in their pots, and, 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 and they, they, they'd eat it straight. They'd mash it. They, they'd crush it. They'd mix it with water. They'd do all these different things to make cakes or 
whatever, but they take this man and eat it. And God gives you manna. Manna is what comes to every one of us. Every one of us get manna because he promised he will supply our needs. And we can have manna every day if we just walk forward in God. All you got to do is read the word. All you got to do is, you know, attest to him, walk in him. It's, it's just, it's, I equate it to having peace for your bills. You're going to be able to have peace for your bills if you go out and get a job. If you got a job, then you can pay. And see, we can get our own way sometimes. I can make the way. Brother Jimmy, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an, an invalid. I can, I can make things happen. I don't have to worry about peace all the time for finances because if I really want to, I can get a job and I can go make the money to pay for what I need to do. God supplies that. So there's manna that's temporal that God gives everywhere. You've got manna that he's putting out in front of you. If you just step out and get it, he said every morning it'll be there. Go get it. So you have temporal manna and we so much focus on the temporary manna that God gives, the physical manna that he gives us. And we go get our job and we get our paycheck and we, we get love from somebody. And we get the physical things that we do. And that physical manna is great. Because God supplies my needs with it. But the one that he gives that is so sweet and so special is what he calls that hidden manna. Now hidden manna, it, 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 it doesn't come to everybody. Everybody doesn't get it. Only those who've determined they're going to overcome. God's got something so special for you, but it's on the backside of you pushing and saying, I just won't quit, God. It's on the backside of you fighting through every situation that's coming at you, determined you're not going to stop. It's called hidden manna. You know, my, my wife is, um, I've got, I've, I'm remarried about, Two years ago, I married the most beautiful, amazing woman that you've ever seen. Uh, she's, she's gorgeous, incredible. My daughters and her get along so amazing, and God's restored all this stuff to my life, and he's made such a beautiful thing for where we are and, and where he's got us. But my daughter, my, my wife, is, a, is, is it, she has a special diet that she's on called a paleo diet. And the paleo diet that she's on is, is um, she can only eat, raw or natural things. If it came from the earth, she can eat it. So she's very health conscious and very into that. And one of the things that she can't eat is, is chocolate. She can't have sugar. So raw sugar she can't have, so she can't eat chocolate. And I don't know if there's any other ladies in here that love chocolate. <laughs> My wife is the quintessential, I love me some chocolate. <laughs> I love me some chocolate. She loves chocolate. So whenever she couldn't eat chocolate anymore, it was like a, oh, baby. And it's a thing for her joints and her bones and some different things that she's got that she can only eat this. And she's like, I can't eat chocolate no more. Well, we were at this health food store. And as we got to this health food store, she sees this paleo section, which is the name of the, the diet that, she's, that she has to live in. And it had this paleo chocolate. Okay, it was like. 27 pounds a bar or something like that. Some crazy amount made from all natural goats, milk, milk, with I don't know, something kind of crazy thing. Cocoa beans grown in the forest of something. But all of a sudden she could eat chocolate. And, and I remember we bought, she didn't want, she said, baby, there's chocolate there. I said, oh, yeah, we're going to get you. How much is it? Okay, yeah, we're going to get you chocolate. She goes, I want two bars. <laughs> Okay, baby. So we got two bars. And we went off a couple weeks ago on this vacation. 
Now, as we went off on this vacation with a couple friends that, that I've known for since I was in a middle school, went with us, and I was out in the kitchen of this condo that they had rented for us to go be in, and, and I didn't see her, and I was wondering, where, where's Faith is? Where's she at? Well, I walked back around the side room, and there standing in the dark by the bed in the dark room of the condo is my wife. And she's over her little duffel bag that's unzipped, and she's got this bar of paleo chocolate. It's pitch dark in the room, and she's like, <laughs> and she snaps off a piece, and she tucks it back in, and she hides it up and zips it and puts it back in the thing. She didn't want nobody seeing her chocolate. <laughs> it was her hidden chocolate. It was a special thing that was reserved just for her. It was only for her. If everybody else can eat the general things, she can't. Look, me eating her chocolate, she offered me a piece. Baby, I'm not going to waste your chocolate. That's your chocolate. You're the only, that's the only kind of chocolate you eat, and you love chocolate. See, she's hit it, she wrapped it, she, and she just kind of smiled. Now, I told this story in front of her the other day, and she's like, oh, it wasn't that bad. I said, yeah, it was that bad. I know you love you some chocolate, girl. And that was her hidden chocolate. In the same way, God's got something that is reserved for just you and me. There's a peace that passes all understanding. And it's and passes all understanding because not everybody gets it. Only those who have determined that they're not going to quit. And this is their way regardless. It doesn't matter what else is happening. I'm right here. And from that point in that place, God gives us a peace that nobody else has. All of a sudden, we're walking through hell backwards in a meat grinder. Being stuffed. And we've got a joy about us. But we've determined that we're not quitting. We've determined that come hell or high water, I'm staying right here. Come hell or high water, I'm staying in this marriage. I'm staying with my children. I'm staying in this job that God set me. I'm staying in this ministry. I'm staying in this place. I'm staying in this city. I'm staying in this line of thought. Come hell or high water, I'm right here and I'm not going anywhere. To that person, God gives a joy that people go, how can he smile in this spot? How can he be what he's being right now? It just doesn't make any sense for him to be happy what he's going through. But there's a joy that comes on the backside of overcoming when it no longer owns you and you own it. And you realize that all of it's in God's hands and you're going forward and you've determined you're not going to quit. A joy comes in you. A love comes in you. How can he love the way he's loving right now? How, how can he have a strength right now when everything else is failing him? How can he, any of that stuff, how can he? Because the word of God says he chose to overcome and God had hidden manna for the middle of his life. He had mid hidden manna that he set up for him. So many times all we want to chase is the temporal manna, the manna that's physical sitting out there that I can make my own peace, I can make my own way, I can make my own direction, I can make my own answer, I can make my own thing. But God gives, God gives a hidden manna when we just decide that we're going to overcome. 
when we decide nothing's keeping us back. You know, the rest of this passage says some pretty amazing things. It says, as I, I kind of planned to talk on a tad, was he said he'd give us a stone. When God starts to give you hidden manna, a process starts in the middle of you that's, that's really adoption. You're becoming his when hidden manna starts to come into your life. When you have a joy that's beyond reason, a peace beyond your situation, a strength beyond possibility, because you're becoming his, he starts to transform it. I picked this up out of y'all's little garden outside. It's a rock I threw in my pocket. Because the word of God says he'll give them a white rock. The, the white rock means two things. One, it means innocent. They would have, when they would be judged, a, a jury would settle upon a man for something that he had done. And he was finally, finally alleviated of the charge and found innocent. They would put a white rock in his hand. And the white rock would mean that he's innocent, he's free, he's not guilty. You know, God through that peace is going to finally give you something that you can overcome what's been said about you. You might have done what they said you did, but you're not who they say you are. He's going to alleviate you from the situation. Part of the hint of manna is giving you a freedom, a peace away from the guilt, the shame, and every other circumstance that's overcome you. The other part of the the deal was a white rock would also symbolize victory as one would be in the gladiator pits and, and in the coliseums. When they had won certain amount of victories, when certain things were set, they would be handed a white rock and the white rock would mean they are victorious in life. And forever, the white rock would also come with forever they would be cared for by the state. When you start to get hidden manna, you no longer worry about the things that are going to make their way in your life. If it's a person, if it's your finances, if it's your home, something starts to transform in you. When you start to get hidden manna, something starts to happen in you that you stop worrying about whether or not the stock market's going to fail or, or Brexit's going to be an exit or a victory or whatever it's going to be or any other thing that's going to be. And you start to trust the Lord that God, knew, you know what, you've already brought me to victory. You've already brought my shame away. You've already given me something that nobody else has got. God, I'm not even even worrying about it anymore. I'm trusting God that you're making my way. And then lastly, it says, as I close, if somebody could come to the keyboard, I guess, it says that our name would be written in the rock. Not, not, not our name that we have right now, but a new name. You're known by name in this world, but you know that God's renaming you. He's been in the process of renaming you since you came to him. He's been renaming who you are. He changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel, from a supplanter, a thief, a kind of wily person, to somebody who has power and authority in the presence of God. He's been working on changing your name just like he changed Israel's. And in that white rock, a name change. And it symbolizes the completeness of adoption that fully we are his in such a way that only him and I know what my name really is. Nobody else can even say they know me. I'm so fully his. Because I decided to overcome. Because he gave me hidden manna. I don't know 
your individual circumstance or situation today and not even sure why. There's, I've got, I, look, I've traveled and spoke, traveled the world and spoke for, for almost 30 years. My first camps that I did in Europe were in 1991 or 1990. Not too, too far from here, I guess. But I, got, I got some really neat messages that I could, that I think they shout and dance really good and they spin the top of the hat and everything else. But God kept telling me something for this room. It was just plain and simple hidden manna. And I'm not sure who all, everybody or anybody is for. But he just wanted me to talk about hidden manna this morning. I don't even know that he wanted me to talk about the rest of the, rest of the passage. I threw it in because it was in my notes. And I just want to give you the, your whole, you know, buck fifty worth. But I know he wanted me to talk about hidden manna this morning. Again and again, God. Okay, that's I haven't. I've never spoken that message before, God. I've spoken about hidden manna, but in the context of a, like twenty other things, hidden manna, son. I want you to speak on hidden manna. I want you to tell him about hidden manna. Brother Jimmy got it when I met him here this morning. He said, "Will you tell some of your testimony? Will you line some of that in there? How that you overcame? How that how that God brought you through another way?" And see, I was six years ago. I was, I was this dude that started this horrible, crazy journey that was more painful than anything I'd ever went through in my life. I lost everything. Everything. I mean, there was days that evil people trying to act evil ways. I was under criminal investigation. I was, there was days I went to court. I thought I was going to jail, Brother Jimmy. In fact, my lawyer told me, you're going to jail today. Because they've taken this and turned it this way and they did it and this is what's going to happen. Ended up walking out of court that day with, instead of me going to jail, uh, my daughters. And God switched it. He turned it because I just wouldn't quit. And there were people that said, in fact, I know some people that were really going against, I don't know if I dropped that, Jimmy, or if somebody else dropped that. Did I drop that? Sure. Uh, maybe it's supposed to be here. I don't, I, there was people that said, why didn't he just give up? Why didn't he just quit? Why didn't he? I, I, God told me just to overcome. See, I didn't have to win every battle. I just had to keep going. I just had to not quit. God doesn't want people who don't fail. He just wants people who don't quit. And he gave me hidden manna. I find peace, Brother Jimmy, in places. I, I, I would get the neatest things that he would give to me and do for me, like, like meeting you that day. All of a sudden, here I am. The, the Camerons invite me over to Scotland. And my daughters get onto the plane with me. And my, my youngest daughter has always wanted to sit in like the upper deck of those double-decker planes. And they announce some kind of upgrade. And they bring us and set us in first class and fly us over here with no deal. My, my youngest is just beaming. Dad, it worked. I prayed. It worked. I prayed. I worked. We get here and we minister down up in Peterhead and we rent a car and we start to drive and we see Brother Jimmy. And I could just tell you a thousand different things that he did for me in the neatest ways because I wouldn't quit. Because I just wouldn't stop. I wasn't going to give up my calling when one of my best friends in the world called me and said, at least I thought he was one of my best friends in the world, called me and said, Warren, you've gone through divorce now. 
And I don't want you coming up to me like you did at the last conference and acting like we were friends before you were divorced. You're divorced now. I'd rather you just not come up to me anymore. All right, dude. Then he told me about my daughters. He said, you know what? He said, your daughters don't need to come to altar calls for pastor's kids anymore. All right? That's your opinion. I, I just refuse to quit. And God gave me this hidden manna, this peace that was beyond every situation. To, I don't know what all you're supposed to take from it today, but I know this. In this kind of weird way I've delivered this message this morning, if you will overcome right now and determine in your heart you're not going to quit and give up and let go of what God said in front of you, if you will just determine, God will start to put hidden manna. You've had the manna you can get. You've strived before to get your own way. You've strived to get love, strived to get finances, strived to get work. You went out and made it work. Hey, we can do it. I can make it work. I'll get a job and I'll pay for these things. It'll be all right. You've had that manna. God wants to give you hidden manna that you don't even understand where it comes from. It's his little stash. And he pulls it out. Come on in here, sweetie. Come on in here. Jimmy, Lorraine, Michelle, Michael, Thomas, Samuel. Come in here. Try this. I know you're tired, but try this. I know you're weak, but try this. I know you're in turmoil, but try this. Try this. If we just don't quit, He's promised us hidden manna. Today, I, my story is, is a good one. Because no matter what I went through, God had an answer. When I was 12 and my daddy left, God had an answer. He's just had an answer all my life. The time I was a child, I was a big boy. He's given me hidden manna since I was just a kid. You know, at six years old, my dog got ran over, Brother Jimmy. Got ran over in the street, and my dad said, we're going to kill him. We've got to let him, he, i got to kill him or he's just going to die. But watch, it, watch just, just sit here with him. I went to church that night, left in the boat shed. Expect, my parents expected him to be dead by the time I got home. My mom went down to the altar, and I just got up and followed her down. I'm six years old. I kneel at the altar, broken back, broken legs, ran over by a car, bloody, nasty mess. I said, I want Jesus to heal my dog. Six years old. Pastor prayed with me. I went home. Every bone in my dog's body was put back together. Healed completely. Blood stopped. Everything healed dog runs and jumps up in my arms and lives another five, seven years. God even healed my dog when I was a kid. All my life he's given me hidden manna because I just wouldn't stop. And I promise you, if you determine to not stop today, he's going to do it for you. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Will you stand, actually? I don't want to do any big, crazy, emotional thing. Would you just would you just raise your hands just right where you are? Just put your hands before the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray over every person in this room right now, Lord God, that's going through situations and circumstances. Father, that threaten to kill who they are. 
God, we trust you right now, Lord God. That regardless of the scene, you've got our answer and you've got the way and you're making everything that we need. And we believe you right now, Lord God, for right where we are. And I ask you, Father, that as they step into an agreement with you, God, that they will overcome. That, Lord, you start to hide Take that hidden part and start to hand to them in grace, in peace, in strength, in joy, in love, in restoration of everything that they need. Father, I pray that over every one of them right now in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need that hidden manna. I'm going through a situation, a circumstance right now that is threatening to kill me. And if, if, if God doesn't make the way for me, then I can't make it. Will you put your hand up even farther, your right hand? Just put it up even farther and say, that's me. Wow. Father, I speak over every one of them right now in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that they start to see, Lord God. Father, the circumstances that are in, Lord God, that it's all still in the middle of your hands, Lord God, that it's right where you are, Lord God, that, Father, they've not left you, Lord God, not gone the wrong way, Lord Jesus. Father, they're being carried by you, Lord God, through the circumstances. And today, Lord God, we depend on this one thing, that you've got the manna that answers for us, Lord God, that you've got the way. That, Father, regardless of what we feel or see, Lord God, you're holding on to us, Lord God, and you will make the way that we need. Father, today, in Jesus' name, Lord, Father, I agree to overcome in my marriage. I agree to overcome in my physical body. I agree to overcome in my spirit, in my ministry, in my walk, in my life. In Jesus' name, I agree to overcome right now. And I lean on you, Lord God, for the hidden part that you have that nobody else even knows, God. You've got my calling. You've got my life. You've got my ministry. You've got my family. You've got every bit of it in your hands. And I trust you in it, Lord. Father, I thank you for these people in this room today, Lord God. And I thank you for what you speak in the middle of them, Lord God. God, and I pray that hidden manna would be at all of their tables. I thank you for it, Lord. And I bless you in it, Father. In the mighty matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said... Now, I tell you, God did amazing things for me. My daughters are amazing and do incredible in life. I'm ready to this beautiful woman that God's blessed me with that I asked him. He told me to ask for seven things, and those seven things were all in the middle of that woman. As soon as I met her, it was all seven things down to the tattoo she had. Then God raised up a dream center through us, and we planted a church. And started to restore everything that was. Why? Because we just wouldn't quit. Please don't quit today. If you're not going to quit, I want you to raise your hand. Come on, just show me your hand. If you're not giving up. Then God's got hidden manna for you. Trust Him. Watch Him when He does. Okay, let's worship bottom of our hearts. Let's give all glory to God. Let's put our hands together and give glory to God. Unbelievable.